Good morning, everyone. And we're continuing on in our series, Keep Calm and Get Along. In 1989, just before I came home to marry Gloria, I was in Greece and uh, as a bachelor on the mission field, and I was at a summer camp and met a fellow by the name of Bruce Powell. Now, Bruce Powell is from England. He's actually a Welshman, and he was on sabbatical. And uh, we got chatting a little bit, and I asked him if he knew Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, that doesn't mean anything to anybody here, I don't think. But Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my heroes, a great preacher of the last century. And in fact, Bruce Powell actually knew him personally. So we immediately struck up a friendship. And we started talking, and we found ourselves eating together and going for coffee together and just becoming friends. We became instant friends, actually. Now, here's the neat thing. Uh, for so many of us, it's very easy to establish relationships with people. All we have to do is find a common denominator, and away we go. And we, we, we would say that we, we are friends with that person. And, but in fact, it's probably more of an acquaintance because we are not deep friends. The friendship tends to be superficial. Well, with Bruce, uh, he lives in Wales, and we were in Greece, and uh, I was coming back to Canada, and I thought, you know, it was great to meet that guy. I was encouraged by him. He inspired me. But that, that wasn't the end of it. Bruce sent Gloria and I uh, a, a wedding gift. It's very small. I mean, he's in the ministry. He's not a millionaire. Uh, he sent us some things from Wales, or some tea towels uh, with uh, interesting facts about Wales printed on it. You know, the kind of gifts you get if you're going on vacation. He sent us a Welsh love spoon, which we still cherish, still have. Uh, but this was the pattern for what was to follow in this friendship. So we became instant friends, but the neat thing about it, folks, is that we remained friends, and it's because of his willingness to invest in our friendship. We, 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 we recognized that Gloria and I both recognized that we were friends with Bruce because of his godly ability to make us feel truly valued. In fact, over the years, he kept in touch with us. He sent us letters. He actually came to visit us when we were in Greece, made the, made the trek all the way from England, and over the years has sent cards and gifts to our kids, really making us feel valued. When Gloria and I were in Greece, we were asked by the authorities to leave the country because they said we were in Greece illegally. And so here we are. Jesse's just a brand new baby, and we don't know what to do, where to go. The PAOC or denomination that we were sent out by, was they didn't offer any help. They weren't helping us in any way, shape, or form. And as I was praying about it, I just felt God saying to me, call Bruce. And when you leave the country, go visit Bruce. So that's what we did. And, of course, making only $600 a month at that time, uh, we had enough to pay our rent, a few dollars for food, but, like, nothing in our bank account, nothing. And uh, so we were able to save up a bit of cash because we had a short time before we had to leave. And then I went and found the cheapest airline tickets I could find. And I, I found them through, are you ready for this? Uh, Yugoslavian Airlines. Look, I just say Yugoslavian Airlines, you all start laughing, because you know what we're talking about here. Does anybody even remember Yugoslavia? It doesn't even exist anymore. But at that time, there was, a, there was such a thing as a Yugoslavian Airlines. What we didn't know was that Yugoslavia was about to come to an end. 
And so we got our tickets, we flew over to Wales, and while we, there, while we were there, we got word that, in fact, the whole world was now uh, setting up sanctions against Yugoslavia because of the genocide within the country, between the Serbs and the Bosnians. Some of you will remember that. And so suddenly, we had two return tickets that were absolutely useless. Now, here we are in Wales with our friend Bruce, and we're stuck, utterly and completely stuck. Now, I was so embarrassed and so ashamed to have to say to my friend Bruce, uh, Bruce, uh, uh, we can't go home because we don't have tickets. And you know what he did? He didn't just chastise and say, well, what on earth would you get tickets from Yugoslavian Airlines for? But he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. We're going to take care of it. And so what he did is he just went, went to a travel agent, talked to a few close friends, and before you don't know it, we have three return tickets for our little baby Jesse, Sarah, and myself. This is the, this is the pattern for Bruce through 25 years of friendship constantly valuing me and making me feel great, making me feel special. I want to ask you a question today. How do you make people feel? How do you treat the people in your life? If I were to ask your wife or your husband, how does your spouse make you feel? What would he say? What would she say? If I were to ask your kids, how, does your parent, how do your parents make you feel? What would your kids say? Or if I was somehow to go to your workplace and ask your workmates, hey, how does, how does she make you feel at work? How does he make you feel? What would they say about you? So what I want to talk to you today about is how to make friends, and just as important, I want to talk to you about how to keep those friends that you've made. Because for most of us, we can create and make superficial friendships, but keeping them, that's quite a different matter. And the Bible gives us very clear and great instruction, great guidance on how to make friends and how to keep them. The Apostle Paul uh, wasn't always the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you knew that. The Apostle Paul was, was actually a real bad dude. I mean, he was so bad that when he first became a Christian, nobody but nobody wanted to speak to him. We're going, to get, we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But look what the Apostle Paul writes later on in his life. He writes, he, he writes these words from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. And he says, don't, don't just pretend to love others. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, it's easy to pretend that you like somebody. When you see them, you smile, you shake your hand, you nod, you chit-chat with them. But when they're gone, behind their back, you're doing this. Ah, uh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know those people you work with, you try to be friendly because you gotta, you got to work with this person every day, so you, you're, you're going to fake it. Paul says, don't do that. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And then he says this, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So I want to talk to you today then, how to make friends and how to keep them. So let's talk about that, the, the Christian approach to friendship. In 1986, I was a youth pastor, and my job was to take 50 kids to Expo in Vancouver. Does anybody remember the 1986 Expo in Vancouver? Maybe you were there. I don't know. You remember that, Marianne? Uh, that goes to show how old we are, Marianne. Uh, so here's my job, busload of 50 kids. I don't know 
half of these kids. I only, know, I only know half of them because they're in my youth group. The rest, I don't know. They were just a collection of kids from other churches. And my responsibility was to get all these kids to Vancouver so that they could do ministry. And uh, their job was to, to, you know, to tell people about Jesus when they got to Vancouver. So I'm thinking to myself, a busload, 50 teenagers from Winnipeg to Vancouver and, and, and stay there. And, and by the way, we're not staying at a hotel. You know where we're staying? Which I didn't know. We're staying on a gymnasium floor, sleeping on a gymnasium floor for two weeks. Yeah. And then we're given, someone got this smart idea to get us some air mattresses. So the air mattresses were like this thin. And my feet are hanging over one end, my head's over the other end. And have a good time. So I'm, I'm praying, God, how am I going to get 50 teenagers to Vancouver to keep their spirits up, to help them have a good time, to do the work that they're supposed to do, and get them all home happy? I thought, most people can't have one or two teenagers in the house. They can't even handle that. I got 50 of them. You know what I'm talking about? How am I going to control 50 teenagers so I prayed, and I said, God, show me what to do, as I need some divine help. How many know what I'm saying? Div- I, need super- I need supernatural, holy, sh- I-, I need a magic wand, or s- I need something. I'm going to get these kids. I'm going to take care of them. So I'm praying, and God gives me a scripture verse. It's actually Romans 12, 10. Um, this is from the New Living Translation, but the verse that, that I was reading at that time was from the New International Version. It's, the wording is slightly different, and it goes like this. Be devoted to one another, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and honor one another above yourselves. And I think that the Costa Rica team, they, they actually learned that when they went over to Costa Rica, and they, I think they even learned it in Spanish, right, Sheldon? Yeah, you're not, yeah, so, yeah, which I'll get you to say, no, I won't, I won't put you on the spot like that. So this is the verse. And so here's what I made, here's what I got the kids to do. As soon as I got on the, the bus, before we did anything, I said, you guys are going to memorize this verse before we leave Winnipeg. So that's what happened. They started memorizing the verse, and then I got them to say the verse every morning, every lunchtime, every supper time, every coffee time, every time they got on the bus, every time they got back on the bus, and they were constantly being reminded that they needed to honor one another above themselves. Put the other person first. Don't think of yourself first. Think of other people first. In other words, you need to value others as more important than yourself. That's how we began this trip. And I'm going to tell you this, folks. All the way there, with smelly, sweaty teenagers who, uh, who could very well have been hormonal, if you know what I mean, and being testy and difficult. You know what? We didn't have one problem. Not one. It was what we would call an excellent not just good, not just very good, but an excellent time together in Vancouver. And I'm going to tell you something else, folks. Every one of those people are still friends to this day. We meet each other, greet each other, we're happy. We had a wonderful time. And you know why? Because I forced them. I forced them to value each other. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is the secret to a happy marriage, that you value your spouse, 
This is, this is the secret to being great parents, that you value your children. This is the secret to being a great employee, that you value your boss and value the people you work with. And I know some of you are thinking right now, pastor, in utopia, that might work, but you don't know my kids. Or, pastor, you don't know my boss. He is such a... You, you, Pastor, you don't know the people I work with. Every one of them is an idiot. Pastor, you don't know my spouse. He is the king of idiots. Okay, here's what I do know. I do know your spouse. I do know your kids. I know the people you work with. Because we're all the same. We, there's t- moments when we're all very difficult to live with, to work with, to be with. I know that. But I'm going to give you a secret now to solving the problem that we all face. How do we move from a position of being angry and annoyed and ticked off at the people in our life to the place where we actually start caring about them to the place where we actually start valuing them? So here's what you and I need to understand. And we're going to take a chapter from the Apostle Paul's life. Does everybody know who the Apostle Paul is? The Apostle Paul is a guy that wrote so many of the letters in the New Testament. So many of them. And uh, he wasn't always a good guy. Listen to this. Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. This guy, was, he was going out killing Christians. He's a Christian killer. He was the first ISIS So he went to the high priest, that's this Saul, and by the way, Saul is Paul. And I know some of you think that Saul became Paul when he became a Christian, that's not true. Saul is the Jewish name for this guy, and Paul is the Latin name for this guy. So it's the same person. So don't get confused if I'm calling him Paul or Saul. Get it? Got to make sure you understand that. Paul and Saul are identical, they're the same person. Okay, so listen to this. So he went to the high priest... And he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. By the way, did you know Christianity was called the way at one time? That's what it, that was the first name for it, the way. So he wanted, to, he wanted uh, these letters, and uh, letters that would give him permission to arrest Christians. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now that tells you what kind of a creep this guy was. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly appeared. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul asked, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So the man with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Only Saul saw this. So Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus and remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus, a good Christian guy in Damascus, by the name of Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Ananias... 
Go over to the straight street. That's the name of the street. The name's straight. Good name. Go to the house of Judas, who lives on that street. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus whose name is Saul. Now, Ananias actually knows who this Saul is. God says to Ananias, he's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. That's you, Ananias, who's coming in and laying hands on him so he can see. So Ananias is being told that by God. I've given Saul a vision that you're coming to meet him. Don't you love when God does, tells us to do something, doesn't ask our permission first? How many of God just does whatever he wants because he's God? How many of God does everything right? Hello? God does everything right, right? Yeah, okay, good. Just want to make sure you agree with me. And Ananias says, but Lord, have you ever said that to God? Hold, hold on a minute. Hold, hold everything, God. But, but just a minute. But Lord, exclaims Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's killed them, stoned them, beat them. And he's authorized, furthermore, by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, I like that, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul, laid his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, I like that. The murderer, the killer, Ananias is calling him brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Like that. It's just like, everything's fine. Now, here's what you need to know, folks. If you're reading the New Testament, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that the number one ethic or idea of the New Testament is unity. Unity between Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Unity between husband and wife. Hello. Unity between parents and children. Unity between Christians and anybody else that that Christian comes into contact with. Unity. If you don't understand that, you will not understand the New Testament. You will not understand the message of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you and I need to understand about unity. There can be no unity if we are not mutually valuing one another. What creates unity is that I value you and you value me. But when you stop valuing me, when I stop valuing you, the unity is broken between us. Now, what's at the basis of all this? Remember last week we said, Jesus says this in his last hours before going to the cross. He says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. What does that mean? Jesus says, love one another. The way that I love you, so you must love one another. 
Now, Jesus is saying that just before he goes to the cross. Jesus is saying, look it, here's how much I love you. I'm willing to die for you. Folks, listen, that is what love is, is that I value you. I'm willing to do anything for you. I'm willing to serve you. I'm willing to wait on you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make you feel that you have worth, that you have value. Now, can I just say this to you right now? Is if as a Christian, you are not valuing all the people in your life, then you are not living an authentic Christianity. Your Christianity is suspect. Your Christianity is just a religion. It's not a reality. At the men's retreat, the speaker had everybody, all the guys, there's almost 50 of us, everybody close your eyes, he says. Pastor Allen, I want you to come up here. I want you to stand beside me. I want you to see. And, uh, and he says, okay, guys, I wonder how many of you guys here today, this morning, it's a Saturday morning, how many of you guys would say that your father never expressed any, any real verbal emotional love for you, never told you that you were valuable, never told you that you were special, that he was proud of you? How many were never blessed by their father? Over half the guys lifted their hand. I was shocked, and yet I wasn't shocked. And the speaker went on to say this. The way that you were going to find emotional wholeness is if you understand your value and your worth to God. And the problem, and it's not just men, it's women too. The problem with so many of us is that we don't understand our value. I'm going to tell you how valuable you are today. You're so valuable to God that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, to, take, to wash away your sin. Listen, to wash away your sin, to wash away your guilt, to wash away your shame. And if you were the only one, Jesus would still die for you. That's how worthwhile you are, how valuable you are. Now watch this. The point of the church, the Christian church, this is a place where you come and experience and are reminded of your worth. This is the place that you come and you're reminded that you are of great value to God and to the family of God. That's what the Christian church is all about. And that's the way Christians are supposed to live. Husbands, do, do, do your wives know that you value them? Wives, do your husbands know how much you value them? Some of you have heard about my grandmother, my mother's side. My grandmother, I waited on her hand and foot. Before I was married, after I was married, I would go pick her up. I'd take her shopping. I'd take her to the park. I'd take her for a drive. I'd take her wherever she wanted to go. And I would always pay for it. I never asked for a nickel. But my grandmother, you see, she could not say thank you. She could, in fact, she could not tell you how much she appreciated, appreciated you. She couldn't even say, I'm proud of you. And I would wait on my grandmother hand and foot. One time she told my, my mother, do what Alan did. 
Alan pulled over to the side of the road and said, I'm not taking you another mile until you give me some money for gas. I was livid. I was so angry. I literally felt hatred in my heart. Has anybody ever felt like that? I thought, after all that I've done for you, old lady, <laughs> this is how you treat me? I, you know, we, we had, we, what we used to love to do is we'd like to go and see if we could find the best Reuben sandwich in Manitoba. Anybody like Reuben sandwiches? We found a real good one in Steinbeck at Smitty's. I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was sure good back then. And we're sitting there, we're lighthearted, and we were both agreeing this is the best sandwich we ever had, and we're laughing together and having fun. Then I said to her out of the blue, I said, Grandma, I want, you to, I want you to say something. I want you to tell me something. I want you, Grandma, to tell me, Alan, you're the best grandson a woman could ever have. And she looked at me like I told her I was going to kill her. She looked at me with, these, with that horrible look on her face. It's like, oh, no. What have you asked me to do? I said, Grandma, just tell me that I'm the best grandson you could ever have. Now, my, my brothers and my sister, they were great-grandchildren too, but I wanted her to tell me. And she looked at me, and I said, go ahead and say it. And she started to laugh. She didn't know what else to do. Started to, she could not tell me. I said, no, Grandma, I want you to say it. Alan, you're the best grandson a woman could ever have. She started to giggle and laugh. I've never seen her laugh so hard. Can you imagine how that made me feel? Rather than saying, Alan, you're the best grandson a, a woman could ever have, it was, ha! <laughs> I made up my mind that I was going to break that cycle in my family. Because that went on from generation to generation to generation. How many know what I'm talking about? And I decided that when I get married, I'm going to tell my wife how wonderful she is, how proud I am of her. I'm going to tell my kids the same thing. So here's what you need to know. The way to make friends and keep them, because making friends is the easy part, keeping them is the hard part. Here's what you need to do. You need to value them, and they need to know how much you value them. Does anybody know how much I love Superstore? <laughs> you know I don't. I, was, I mean, I was just there. I got four bags of earth. I went, walked all the way in. That's right, in Polo Park area there. I said, could you come and help me? No, just tell me what you want. You won't come and help me? No, just tell me what you want. Well, I want some earth. Well, what earth do you want? Well, the stuff in that purple bag... She would not help, didn't care, wasn't interested in, in no customer service. That's, those are dirty words there. It's the difference between going to Safeway and Superstore. You go to Safeway, you can't get them off your trail. They follow you. What do you want? What, what, what do you need? Do you need something? Bread? Bread's over here. Cream? Cream's down here. Here, I'll show you. And they'll take you right by the hand. Superstore? Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Talk to the hand. Guess where I like to shop? I don't care how cheap it is at Superstore. Guess where I like to shop? Safeway. Why? Because I'm valued there. 
I'm a valued customer. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now because people love to be with people who make them feel valuable. You show me a happy married couple, I'll show you a couple where the husband values the wife, the wife values the husband. So Pastor Alan, this is all strange to me. Can you just give me some, some advice on how to do this? Sure, I'd be glad to give you some advice. First of all, let me just, let's just all face it. Let's just be honest about it. We all understand, don't we? Because we wouldn't have to have this conversation if we didn't understand this. Not everyone deserves to be treated as valuable and worthy, right? Let's just be honest. We don't always, we don't always deserve to be treated that way. People don't always deserve to be valued or treated well. Some of you are thinking, man, you're, you're, as I'm speaking, you're thinking about your kids. Those ungrateful little wretches. <laughs> or you're thinking about your husband, that ungrateful wretch. I wash his clothes, I pick up his underwear, pick up his socks. He didn't even know it. He doesn't even know how underwear gets in his drawer. Magically, just <laughs> jumps into the washing machine and flies up to the bedroom into the drawer, right? And you guys are thinking, my wife has no idea. She just thinks the car just magically fills up with gas. <laughs> magically washes itself. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. And your boss, you think, your, your boss has no idea how the work gets done. He just thinks it happens by magic. And so what's happening now is we all feel we don't deserve, that people don't deserve to be valued. Well, I'm going to talk about Apostle Paul again for a moment because here's what Paul, the Apostle Paul knows about himself. He knows, he knows that he doesn't deserve any grace, any kindness. In fact, you know what he calls himself? He calls himself the chief of sinners. In other words, he's saying, I'm the worst. There's nobody worse than me. So let's just establish that fact. I'm the worst. But here's what you need to see about the Apostle Paul. The guy that understands that he is the worst of sinners, the guy that murders and viciously attacks Christians with the stamp of approval of the high priest, discovers a couple of men who decide they're, they're going to truly value him. And in marches Ananias that we just read about, and another guy by the name of Barnabas. And Ananias goes and he lays hands on Paul and prays for him, and Paul gets his eyesight back. And then Barnabas, who comes later on and, and finds, actually Barnabas actually goes out looking for Saul because he hears that this Saul actually has become a Christian. And Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, which I love, I said to Gloria in the, in the first service that if we have another kid, we should call him Barnabas. Because it's a great, great word. Don't worry, dear. Uh, and it's if, a, if it's a girl, we'll call him Barnab her Barnabas as well, because it's such a good name. Son of encouragement. Daughter of encouragement. Fantastic name. What does Barnabas do? That he gets this name, son of encouragement. I'll tell you, he makes everybody in his life feel valued. It's no wonder they become such good friends. But more than just a moment. Now here's what you need to understand, folks, because you want to know, how do I value the people in my life, especially since they don't deserve being valued? Here's what you need to do. The key to valuing people is seeing them the way that God sees them. Now remember, Paul says, God says to Ananias, go pray for Paul. And Paul, Ananias says, are you kidding God? Are you kidding me? This guy will murder me. He'll put me in chains. He'll drag me to Jerusalem. Why would I go? And He's probably tricking us. He's probably lying. 
God, God says, just go and do as I say. And Ananias does that. The Lord says, go. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart because God sees things in people that you can't see. Where you're ready to write off your teenager as a hopeless little wreck, a hopeless little loser, hopeless little pothead, nothing will ever come of him. God sees something in your children, in your spouse that you can't see. And I think that probably the reason you can't see it is because you don't want to see it. You don't want to recognize his value, her value. You would rather hold to the position that you've got to fight for your rights and you've got to put everybody in their place. Ananias begins to see with God's eyesight. What we need, folks, is we need a pair of God goggles. Right? A pair of God eyeglasses. And for $19.99, right after the service, you can... We need, to, we need to ask God for an attitude change concerning the people in our life. We need to start seeing people the way God sees them, as precious, as valuable, and as having great worth, such great worth that Jesus would actually go to the cross and die for your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your boss, the people you work with, your neighbors, and that guy that cut you off on the way to church. Start seeing as God sees. It's revolutionary. I love this story about Einstein. Everybody knows Einstein? What did his grade seven teacher say? This kid will never amount to anything. Becomes the greatest physicist in history. Amazing what happens when we see through God's eyes. Here's the next thing that needs to happen. What you need to do is you need to actually go and do something. You need to go and actually express your appreciation, express how you value that person in your life. Ananias went to Saul, went to Paul, laid his hands on him, prayed for him. Barnabas went and found him and brought him to the apostles, introduced him, personally went and introduced Saul, the killer, to the great apostles. Incredible. What are you doing? to express love and appreciation for the people in your life? What are you doing to show your kids, to tell your kids, I love you, son. I'm proud of you. I can tell you this. I want to be with people who make me feel valued. I want to be with people who make me feel worthy. And I do not want to be with people who diminish me and make me feel bad, or make me feel stupid, or make me feel like a loser. You know what I'm talking about? Parents, listen to this. If you want your kids to love you and to be with you and to hang out with you, start treating them with some respect. Start valuing them. Make sure they know how much you value them. And you say, Pastor, you don't know my kids. There's not much there to work with. Every time they get it right, you need to tell them how proud you are of him, of her. Every time your husband gets it right, women, you got to tell him how much you admire him and respect him. Guys, every time your wife cooks you a great meal and takes care of you and picks up your underwear for the millionth time, 
Try acknowledging it. I tell my kids all the time, I'll say, Jesse, I'm proud of you. Or Nicholas or Sarah, I'm proud of you. And they'll say, why? Why are you proud? You see, Paul says, don't just pretend to love others. My kids want to know that this is a real thing. Why are you proud of me? Well, I'm going to tell you why. This is not, I'm not putting this on. I'll tell you why I'm proud of you, and I can go through the list of everyone, why I'm proud of Jesse, why I'm proud of Nicholas, why I'm proud of Sarah, why I'm proud of my wife. Because I'm not pretending. Paul says, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to it. Look, I'm not saying that you're going to embrace them and, 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 and you're going to somehow pretend that what they're doing, the wrong that they're doing is right. No, you're going to hate what is wrong, and you're going to make sure that they know that the wrong that they're doing is something that you hate. But here's what you are going to do. You're going to hold tightly to what is good. Every good thing that he does, every good thing that she does, you're going to tell them, man, that is fantastic. Hold tightly to it and reassure your loved ones, the people in your life, the people you work with, hey, that was fantastic. Those people you work with that annoy you, every time they get something right, tell them, hey, that was fantastic. You don't need to say anything about the wrong things they're doing. Focus on the good things they're doing. What are you doing? You're truly, genuinely, authentically loving them, giving them a sense of worth. That's what's so wrong with so many of us is that we, we fake it. Everybody knows that you're being insincere. Everybody knows it's not real. And your kids do, your spouse does, the people you work with. So what you need to do is you need to step out and do something special. You remember talking about Bruce Powell at the beginning of my message here this morning? Do you want to know something? Bruce Powell, to this day, is still sending cards with money to my kids. Jesse's 24 years old. He's still getting a card with money in it from my friend in England. It's amazing. And he he signs off, love Uncle Bruce. It's no wonder that he is a dear, dear friend of mine and a dear, dear friend of our family. It's no wonder that we all love him because he's valued us, he's treated us as being special to him. And you think, well, it's a big deal. But you have no idea. For him to send Canadian dollars to Winnipeg, he's got to go to the post office, he's got to go to the the, uh, pharmacy to get a card, he's got to go and change British pounds into Canadian dollars, he's got to get a special envelope to put it in, he's got to be weighed out properly. I mean, it's an ordeal. And he does that for all of our kids, and he does it for us at Christmas time. And he's retired now, he doesn't even have a lot of money, he's a retired minister, we don't make a lot of money, and we don't end with a lot. But he still values us. And I want to ask now, what are you doing to express value to the people in your life? You you know, you think about sending a Christmas card, a birthday card, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. What are you doing to express your love for the people in your life? You need to do something. Let's talk about Hunter. Some of you know Hunter. Relatively new believer. So many times at the end of a service, they'll send me a text and say, Pastor Allen, it's exactly what I need. It's awesome. It's fantastic. I loved it. And thank you so much for sending that to me. There's others that do that too. Nick Hack, Christine, send me a text. Oh, that was awesome. It's fantastic. And you wouldn't know it, but I also need to be valued. 
I get most of my sense of value from my wife and my kids. But it sure is nice once in a while to get a text and someone says thank you. You know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to go for coffee with that person. It makes me want to pay for coffee for somebody. It makes me want to be the best pastor that I can be for that person. It makes me want to go over and above. Now, guess what, folks? We're all the same. When someone makes you feel valued, it brings out the best in you, and it makes you want to live up to the standard that that person has concerning you, right? Hey, you know what? Some of you are sitting here today, and you're thinking, you know, Pastor, this is good for everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me because my husband is a hopeless loser. There's no hope for him. Or you're sitting here thinking, my kids, it's just, it's hopeless. Guess what, folks? Did you know that you can change people? You didn't know that, did you? Oh, I know that some think that you can change people by using, by using nagging. How many know nagging does not work? Guys, you know nagging doesn't work. All the guys said, yeah. Well, you look at your wife to see if you could say that. <laughs> How many know nagging does not work? And the guys said, yeah, still, you're, you're still, you're under the control of your way. Look, okay, I get that. You look, look, you can change the people in your life. Look, listen, here's how it goes. Here's how it goes. The Bible says in Acts chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas became great, great friends. It's because Barnabas encouraged Paul. And Paul now suddenly is really getting quite full of himself. He's a great preacher and everybody loves him and he's a greatly gifted and is able to do great things. And guess what happens? They invite Barnabas's nephew along. His name is John Mark. And uh, they see great promise in this young man. But John Mark, being a little overwhelmed with it all, finally decides, hey, I can't do this. And the Bible says that in verse 37 of Acts, uh, Acts 15, that he, uh, verse 38, he, he actually deserts them, deserts Barnabas and Paul. And Paul says, that's it. It's, you've had one chance. I'm fed up with this. You got, this young kid, he's a loser. He'll never amount to anything. And we're not bringing you on another missions trip ever again. And Barnabas says, hold on a minute, Paul. That's what you think, but that's not what I think. You may not value him anymore, but I do. And Paul says, really? Okay, well, we're separating. We're going our separate ways. And that's what happens. Acts chapter 15. It's not one of the glorious moments in Paul's life. Barnabas says, John Mark, I believe in you. I value you. I'm going to ask you to come with me. And Paul takes off with Silas, and they go their separate ways. Now, the interesting thing is, is later on in Paul's life, Paul's had time to think about Barnabas because I think if you were going to spend time with anybody, you'd want to spend time with Barnabas because Paul just seems like a nasty guy. Paul's got a change of heart. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Paul is all alone. Now, why do you think that is? All alone, Paul says, only Luke is with me. And watch this. Bring Mark with you, Timothy. Bring John Mark with you when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Paul's had a change of heart. John Mark, whom he did not value in any way, now he understands his value. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Barnabas believed in him, and it changed him. Barnabas believed in John Mark, and John Mark was a changed man. Ladies, listen to me. Your husband can change when you begin to believe in him and praise him. Gentlemen, your wife can change 
when you begin to value her and cherish her and make her feel like the, the wonderful person that she really is, you could change your kids. That little kid of yours that you think is a hopeless loser, he can be a great man and do great things if you'll just make it clear to him how valuable he is. What changed John Mark? It wasn't Paul. The great Paul, you know, it was Barnabas that most people don't know about. This past weekend on Friday, I had the joy and the privilege of going to Max Thunder's funeral. Max Thunder's Andrew and Heather's and Adeline's dad and Jimmy's dad. My favorite moment in, the, in that funeral service was a video clip that they showed. And basically, it was all five of the kids are all lined up, all five kids, and mom and dad were sitting on the couch. And this was a Christmas present to the parents. It was a tribute from each of the kids. And Jimmy, I think it was Jimmy who had the foresight to, to videotape it. And the videotape, the video camera's going to the kids, over to the parents, back to the kids, back to the parents. And the kids, each of them, are telling their parents how much they love their parents and how special they are to them and, and how blessed they are to have such wonderful parents. And, and the camera goes back to, to mom and dad, Max and Patricia, and Patricia is wiping the tears away from her eyes as each of the kids is blessing their parents and saying to their parents how valuable they are. I'm going to tell you something. Five kids, all five kids love the Lord, serving God. Five kids, all of them, telling their parents how precious and how blessed they are to have such wonderful parents. These kids didn't turn out this way by accident. Do you know that? These kids are blessing and valuing their parents because the parents blessed and valued them. If you want to have kids that turn out like the Thunder Kids then take a chapter from Max and Patricia. Their eldest daughter, Amanda, said, I want to go to hairdressing school, but it's in Winnipeg. What do the parents say? Well, let's do it. Pick up the family, move all the family into Winnipeg so that the daughter can go to school, the school of her choice. Now imagine that. How many families are going to uproot for the sake of one child? The family who values each one of those children. Folks, this is authentic Christianity. Max and Patricia, two, two great, marvelous followers of Jesus Christ who take seriously what the Scripture says. My prayer is that when you go from this place today, you'll take seriously this call to value the people in your life. And if you've been fighting with your wife, your husband, your kids, your boss, your neighbors, whatever, it's time for you to start valuing them and telling them how much you value them and expressing to them through some action, a text, a video, a, a video if you want, a, an email, whatever it takes, express to them how valuable they are to you. And you will change the people in your life. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. It teaches us what it means to really be Christians. God, even as you valued us and placed great worth upon us, we pray, God, that we would, you would help us value the people in our lives. 
And we've been given clear instructions from Scripture how to do that, to see the people in our life the way you see them, as having great potential and as being precious. God, give us the courage to do what my friend Bruce did, constantly affirming his love for the Duncalf family through, through messages, phone calls, small gifts, but truly expressing his love for us. Give us the courage, God, to believe in the people in our lives who maybe are not deserving. Help us to see, God, that we change people not by criticizing them, but by valuing them. This really is what Christianity is all about. This, uh, this unity, God, unity in marriage and families, it comes by valuing one another. So help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, I value you.